Hi, everyone. Welcome to season four of Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Like Rockadopolis. And I'm Lance Rockadopolis. And in this episode, we'll provide an overview of our topic for the season, which is the rhetoric of kink. So we're going to start off the episode by reintroducing some of our preliminary segments that we tried out last season. But first, we're going to do a listener appreciation for Eric MC on FetLife, who gave us some really good ideas for different topics. Hi, Eric. It's nice to hear from you again. I also want us to start out doing shout outs to people in different countries. Right now, the statistics that we get from our podcast host shows that we are getting listeners from 19 countries around the world. So today I just want to give a shout out to our listeners in Cork City, Ireland, which is in County Cork. Many years ago, I had lunch in Cork and walked around for an hour or so before heading down to Clonakilty, which is also in Cork County. I think about Ireland all the time. I love the south coast of Ireland. It's gorgeous. The people are fantastic. It's been a long time since I've been there, but I still think about it quite a bit. And I would love to live there at some point. I mean, we're already living in Kinsale. Wink, wink. Yeah, I'd like to shout out to our listeners in Kiev City, Ukraine. We think about you every day. And with our strong support from our government, hopefully we'll be able to end this nightmare that you're living through as quickly as possible. So what about last week in kink? Uh, Let's see. Well, I had several intravaginal medical procedures. Does that count? I mean, it would have been cool if I were a masochist and into medical play. But unfortunately, I didn't see Lance at all because it's the holiday season and we had all kinds of family obligations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to the resort with my family. Um, so that was one event that was interesting. In a masochistic way? <laughs> yeah, definitely. The, the family drama is, is one thing that I would consider as weird shit that went down. But I don't really care to elaborate on that. It was pretty expensive there, though, wasn't it? Oh, my it? God, yes. There were some wallets being raped non-consensually. On to our main topic of the season. So after leaving teaching for a few years, I realized that there was still a part of me that wanted to engage with other people in the life of the mind, and in somewhat rigorous ways, not just bullshitting on social media, but creating a space for learning about kink that promotes the development of richer inner lives, but in a way that doesn't involve coercive tactics like grades, for example. I really, really hated grading. It just doesn't make sense for what I was teaching, which was writing and rhetoric most of the time. Basically, I do want to teach, but it can only be under my terms. I want to teach what I want to teach, how I want to teach it, 
and only to people who have a sincere desire to learn it. And while grading massive amounts of essays for a living made me want to blow my head off, I truly love teaching and talking about rhetoric. And these days, I also love thinking and talking about kink and BDSM. So here we are today talking about the rhetoric of kink and BDSM. Mm-hmm. Combining your two great loves. Or two of my great loves. You're certainly another oh, one. thank you. Um, and it'll be fun for everyone. I promise it will. So you might be asking yourself, what's the rhetoric of kink? And why do they want to talk about this for a whole season? Well, Lance had some similar questions. Mm-hmm. The first of which is, what is rhetoric? So the term rhetoric has a few different meanings. The most commonly used meaning is that rhetoric is the use of language to persuade people to do what you want them to do. Rhetoric is often seen as a way of manipulating people. But for rhetoricians, people who study rhetoric as a career, rhetoric simply means the use of different types of symbols for communication. And words can be symbols, so can icons of different kinds, right? That sounds to me like multimodal rhetoric, which, like you said, refers to more than one mode of communication to create meaning. It can include images, videos, sound, color, speech, and a whole lot more. In the broadest sense, when I think of rhetoric, what I think of is how people and organizations present themselves and their ideas to others. For example, FetLife uses black and red colors predominantly. So what are they saying with that? I would consider these colors as representing darkness and power or invoking some element of danger. Many of our toys are these colors, as are the fetish clothing that many kinksters wear. And so this season, we'll get into the aesthetics of kink clothing and how that's rhetorical. Also, the imagery and artwork that is associated with female supremacy. How is that all created and by whom and why? Doesn't rhetoric have a negative connotation? Yeah, it does for a lot of people. It's often assumed that rhetoric always means empty rhetoric, like false promises from politicians, for example. Mm -hmm. It's also associated with different types of trickery. Uh, A really great example from U.S. history is the former president, Bill Clinton. Now, just know that I am not trying to criticize or demonize Clinton in general. But his place in history will always be tainted with his association with one particular logical fallacy, and that fallacy is equivocation. Equivocation is basically exploiting the fact that most words have multiple meanings. So, for example, Clinton said to a group of White House reporters I did not have sex with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. But then after investigators located one of Ms. Lewinsky's dresses that had his cum all over it, he said basically that it depends on what you mean by sex, right? So I guess he was (laughs) saying, 
we didn't fuck, we didn't have PIV sex, right? But there was definitely his cum on her dress. I, you know, what can you do? At one point, he also said that he had never been alone with Ms. Lewinsky in the Oval Office or the antechamber off of the Oval Office. But later on, he clarified that by quote-unquote not alone, he meant that the door to the office wasn't completely closed. Same difference, right? Right. And finally, my favorite Clintonian equivocation was, quote, it depends on what the meaning of is is. Uh, here's the full quote, and this was something that he said during one of his legal proceedings. It depends on what the meaning of the word is is. If the, if, if, the, if he, if, if me, if it means and never has been, that is not, that is one thing. If it means that there is none, that was a completely true statement. Now, if someone had asked me on that day, are, are you having any kind of sexual relations with Miss Lewinsky? That is, asked me a question in the present tense, I would have said no, and it would have been completely true. <laughs> Close quote. <laughs> Close quote. So, so, so basically, he's saying, if you're asking me right now whether I'm having sex with her at this very moment, then I'm going to, of course, say no, because I, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Even even if they express it perfectly, he's going to find some way to twist the meanings. I mean, he was a Rhodes Scholar, right? right? He's a very, very smart man for someone who likes to come across as a country bumpkin. Mm -hmm. The guy's got it going on. But anyway, outside of ethically dubious political speech, persuasion isn't necessarily deceptive or unethical. In its simplest form as persuasion... It focuses on the use of reasoning and evidence, um, and also a little bit of emotion. So outside of Bill Clinton, what does rhetoric have to do with kink? Well, rhetoric is about power, and kinksters are all about power. And for better or for worse, we're also all about communication. So one negative example would be all of the cliches and the received wisdom on kinky social media. First of all, I personally think that people should not be going on social media to learn how to do kink. Though, you know, you can learn some things about kink online. You can learn terminology for different types of play. The millions of bits of received wisdom coming at you all the time on FetLife probably aren't going to help you learn how to do kink. Wisdom and understanding can certainly be learned, but I don't know that they can necessarily be taught. I don't think they can be bestowed on a person by another person. But thankfully, the kink world is much, much bigger and more interesting than social media. And kinky rhetoric is much, much more than a bunch of cliches. Mm, certainly. My next question would be, how do you find rhetoric powerful? Well, it's powerful because it can be very influential in both overt and subtle ways. It can influence how people think and feel and ultimately what they do. Yeah, it's certainly powerful when you can mobilize many people and focus on a societal goal, a leader's ability to be convincing can accomplish that goal. 
but but do you actually find it sexy? Well, very sexy. First of all, some of our listeners will remember that I find language very, very sexy. I wouldn't be doing a podcast uh, if I didn't. And I also find power very, very sexy. And in many, many ways, rhetoric is the merging of language and power. Mm -hmm. Rhetoric, by most definitions, is ultimately a means to an end. It's about making something happen. Even if what you want to make happen is just a feeling, rhetoric can make people feel all kinds of things, like rage. Look at our current political discourse. Rhetoric can also make a person feel very secure, right? Like a mother calming down a baby. And rhetoric is also about control per se, which I also find very sexy. But it's an art form. And the better you are at it, the better your results will be. Being able to use language and other symbolic systems to create meaning is very empowering. And it's also empowering for resisting control. This is maybe the most fun that I have with rhetoric, to be honest. If you can identify the types of rhetoric people are attempting to use on you, it's much easier to resist their attempts at controlling you. And the thing is that a lot of the time, people are trying to control other people without even knowing that they're doing it. I think for a lot of people, trying to control others is, is simply just a way of life. Mm -hmm. Like us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's their natural way of being. Basically. Right, it's how they cope. Yeah, like assholes. Like <laughs> <laughs> you just called yourself an asshole. Well, a little bit, you know. I'm a controlling asshole. It's a good thing that you like it, and it's also really, really fun to be able to stop people in their tracks before they even realize what they're doing, before they even consciously know that they're trying to control you. So, if you can cut someone off in their attempts to control you. It's quite humiliating for them, and you can do it in such a way that they don't even know that you did it to them, and they have no idea why. I think it would be sexy to me if I did have that understanding about why I'm being humiliated, but uh, that's just me. If I knew what you were doing, um, but powerless to prevent you from humiliating me in that way, that enjoyment of powerlessness and humiliation is a strong indicator that I'm kinky. So I should do that more often to you. Yeah. Okay. What about rhetoric in our relationship? There's a lot that we do that is pretty common in the kink world, but there are also the aspects of our relationship that are, as far as we know, unique to us. It's how our dynamic is evolving from who we are as individuals and what we're bringing into the dynamic from our past experiences, our various tastes and prejudices, our personalities, our cultural differences. And the more time we spend together, the more our dynamic is coalescing into a kind of microculture with its own values and customs and narratives and a big part of it is how we talk about ourselves. Right, and how we talk to each other. Right. So what are some words that we use when we talk about who we are as a couple? Love. We're a loving couple. Um, you know, we obviously, we use the word kink a lot. Mm -hmm. 
We we each have our respective roles. You are the master. I am the slave. Right. Our labels for who we are. I think we're very deferential to each other in some ways. Mm -hmm. Certainly I need to be. That's my, part of my role. But there's a kind of deference that is all about respect, mm -hmm. right? Like deep respect. Like I respect you very much. I respect your feelings. I don't like the fact that you have boundaries, but we talked about natural boundaries and, mm -hmm. and I respect the fact that you have a process, right. you know, for how you do things and especially emotionally and psychologically committed. We've made a lifelong commitment to our dynamic. Another word that comes to mind a lot is challenging. Yeah, we have a lot of challenges to our relationship, external ones that are beyond our control. Erotic eroticism comes to mind a lot. Yeah, that's certainly uh, one that I would throw in there. But ultimately, what do we make of all of this? What does it all add up to? Why is it important? Why is it something that's important enough that we talk about it all the time, mm -hmm. right? Between each other and to perfect strangers around the world. Well, rhetoricians have a wide variety of tools for analyzing and understanding different ways that people communicate. And in this season, we'll be applying some basic analytical tools that we can use to create meaning out of our kinky dynamic. You know, what are the deeper aspects of what we're doing? How are they significant to us? And how does our dynamic fit into the world? So rhetorical analysis is really basically looking at the nuts and bolts of how rhetoric works. It's basically looking under the hood of a car to see what might be wrong or just how the car works. And another example of rhetorical analysis would be like some kind of reverse engineering. Say your friend gave you a really delicious piece of banana bread and you wanted to learn how to make it yourself. And she won't tell you because it's a secret recipe, right? So you have to be like really careful in how you taste it, you know, trying to figure out how is this done? How can I duplicate this? Mm -hmm. And it'll take more than just taste. It'll take all your other senses. You'll have to see how you think it was cooked and for how long and what's the color of it what's mm -hmm. the texture of it compare it to other types of banana bread beyond rhetorical analysis there's also rhetorical criticism which is about asking somewhat bigger questions making inferences about motivations identifying underlying ideologies not just about what people do when they do kink it's also about what they say about what they do and why they say it. It's not just about how a person sees kink. It's also about why they are choosing to see it that way. Because kink is never just in the bedroom. It is a long-standing cultural tradition. If you're listening to this podcast, you are partaking in the culture of kink, whether you like it or not. You are part of something bigger than yourself, bigger than your relationship. You're not alone in your sick perversions. Hmm. You're connected to a long and illustrious history of sick perversion. And that history is at the core of what we'll be talking about this season. There's quite a bit to talk about. We're going to start the season with five episodes that cover the prehistory of kink from ancient times 
through the regency of Louis XV of France, which may have actually been the kinkiest time and place that has ever existed. So thank you everyone for joining us today. In our next episode, we'll explore a few sexual practices from ancient times that would certainly be considered kinky today. Until then, have a great week. Thank you.